0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm
1: Greg Jarrah.
0: I'm Sandra Smith.
1: I'm David Asman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, June 13th, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. With temperatures in the triple digits, voters in Nevada can expect a red-hot Senate race in the coming months. But first, tomorrow's primary day in the Silver State, and polls show former Nevada Attorney General Adam Laxalt is leading on the Republican side.
2: We have to make sure people are energized, they understand the stakes. And so to be able to have people come in the state and give people a reason to turn out and be excited is all part of our plan.
3: I'm Chris Foster. Tim Kennedy's a Green Beret, retired mixed martial arts champion, and businessman who's sharing his stories and life lessons in a new book.
2: the The
0: pain of losing, um, the pain serves such an important purpose that I think we've
4: forgot how important it is. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown.
1: Nevada has an incumbent Democratic senator, but is seen by Republicans as a major potential pickup in November's election. First, Nevada Republicans need to pick a nominee who will take on Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Adam Laxalt, former Nevada Attorney General, has a prominent name and major Republican endorsements, with support coming in from former President Trump and Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Though a favorable lead in polls has made Laxalt the key frontrunner, Sam Brown, a West Point graduate wounded in Afghanistan, has tried to make a late surge in the GOP race. If you're ready to put others first, if you're ready to take back control and demand accountability from a political class that has failed to serve the Constitution, then I hope you'll join our movement. With a heated race and an important Senate seat up for grabs, many Nevadans are eager to cast their vote hopeful that a GOP senator will represent their state on Capitol Hill.
5: I think that if we get the right people in who love freedom and who understand what the Constitution is, it'll be fine.
1: Now it's up to Nevada voters to pick the Republican that will represent them in the general election. Laxalt predicts it will be a record-setting race.
2: Well, this is going to be the biggest race in our state's history. It's going to be One of the biggest races in the country.
1: Adam Laxalt is a Republican running for Senate in
2: Nevada. And um, it's the big leagues We you have to be able to build a statewide campaign. And I've won statewide. I've represented the entire state. I have relationships in all 17 counties between law enforcement and local officials and um, we're ready to rock and roll Mike. I mean, we we've been building every single day since I got in this race to be able to take on the read machine and to be able to flip Nevada.
1: It seems to me there are a lot of red hot issues right now from gasoline prices to broader inflation uh, to a crime crisis in many major American cities. And you've also got the border problem. What seems to be connecting most right now with Nevada voters?
2: Yeah, let me let me first start with what's most significant about this race compared to the other major center races in the country is this is the only race where you have two former attorneys general that are running against each other and the issues that are so important to our voters right now are open borders and law and order issues. Uh, Mike, I know a lot of people have covered it recently, but the Hispanic vote has broken to 50-50 in this race and it's because of these issues that they are getting so disillusioned with the far left Democrat policies and people are very worried about the spike in fentanyl overdoses about the spikes in human trafficking. We did a press conference with sheriffs across the state and to hear them describe in detail how hard it is for these smaller local jurisdictions to try to keep our communities safe with no support from federal law enforcement is just absolutely unbelievable. And in that press conference, we called on Senator Masto again to break from her party demand resources protect Nevadans. And, you know, what what this all led to, Mike, is that, you know, when she ran in 16, she was the former top cop in the race and all of the law enforcement endorsed her over her Republican opponent. Well, she's an incumbent senator and we all know what that means in politics. Nonetheless, they have all flipped away from her. They've endorsed me in this race and they've endorsed with the comment that she was not there for them when they needed her.
1: Regarding inflation and high gasoline prices being major concerns really for months now, what can a Republican Senate do on day one to address these issues? Should you be elected and should you perhaps be the deciding vote?
2: Well, you know, we still have to win the battle over the fact that their spending did cause the inflation bomb. And we warned them, and yet they still passed that over $2 trillion bill last year. There is still money that hasn't been spent from that, that they're still spending. And we got to remind all of our swing voters that Build Back Better was still on the table after that. It's still on the table today. Senators like Senator Masto are still trying to negotiate more spending so the best thing we can do right now is get a majority in the u.s senate and guarantee that the spending will stop
1: you've gained a lot of support with key endorsements from top republicans like former president trump and texas senator ted cruz how has this vip support really helped you in your campaign
2: you know, the bottom line is when I was attorney general, I was 36 when I ran in one I had never run before. And I ran to protect our constitution to actually defend Nevada from what was going on in the Obama administration. And I had a chance to work with a lot of these people that are supporting me. They understand what I'm made of. They understand that I have the courage to fight against the insanity that we see every single day. And as far as how they help overall it is incredibly important for me as a senate candidate at the top of the ticket that i am motivating our voters we have to make sure our voters turn out if our voters turn out in a typical non-presidential against what their voters will turn out that's enough to win this election we also feel we're going to win independence we know that we're gaining with hispanics And so we have a lot of other ways where we can win resoundingly in this race. But first and foremost, we have to make sure people are energized. They understand the stakes. And so to be able to have people come in the state and give people a reason to turn out and be excited is all part of our plan. And, uh, you know, again, if if Senator Masto is going to campaign with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, we look forward to that day. Uh, But right now, Joe Biden is at 32 percent and Kamala Harris has managed somehow to be lower than that. People want change. They're fed up with these far left politics, and we hope to give them that change.
1: We are a nation of immigrants, and you mentioned the Latino community in Nevada. But I think a lot of the immigrant communities across this country want people to do it legally. How is the crisis at the border playing in your race?
2: Yeah, so my my heritage is Basque, and uh, we're a very small minority in this country, and we've only been over here for a few generations. And, um, you know, the Basque Americans certainly experienced the American dream. Um, but I think what we found over the last few years, and, and President Trump deserves all the credit for this, is that this notion that somehow the Hispanic community wants open borders and amnesty is just flat out false Uh, these people are waiting in line they want a chance at the american dream and when they look at the left's rhetoric when they look at how much they despise this country and that they do not believe in the american dream and that they support open borders um, this is what has resulted in this huge push in my state moving from 25 percent support under mitt romney in 2012 To this race right now, the last public poll had us 50-50 with Senator Masto, And so they're fed up. They're beginning to understand that uh, the Democrat Party has been lying to them for many, many years. Um, And it's actually our party that is the party of the American dream. We're the party of school choice. We're the party of safe communities. We're the party of a secure border, one where the people get to choose who comes and goes and what will be helpful to our great nation.
1: While you have some VIP support on the Republican side, uh, George Soros and his money's coming on the Democratic side. Do you expect the general election to be really expensive in a brutal fight?
2: Yeah, look, we, we've had the great opportunity to travel the whole state over the last few months and be in front of thousands of people. And uh, I've got to remind people always the first political dollar spent by Chuck Schumer in all of America was in the state of Nevada. And George Soros has put in two million dollars in my primary to try to meddle and try to defeat me and try to bring down my strength because they are so worried about Senator Master. They know she's the most vulnerable senator in America, and they know that this matchup is absolutely tailor-made as two former AGs, that we, are, we have the upper hand on every single issue. And so we anticipate, Mike, this will be the most expensive race in Nevada history. Is it a
1: case that Senator Masto went to Washington and forgot what Nevada voters wanted from her? Did she lose her way coming to Capitol Hill?
2: You know, it's there's this incredible phenomenon of these Democrat politicians that run one way and then they do something else when they're actually in the office. And so she votes like a leftist. She supports the Biden administration lockstep so stick with what your voting record is and actually run on that instead she turns herself in an election year into a centrist into a moderate uh, but she can't hide from her record her record for open borders is one of the worst in america her record on law and order even though she's running commercials right now uh trying to say that she supports law enforcement she abandoned them in 2020 and she voted for the George Floyd Policing Act. She called cops systemically racist. And so people aren't going to forget this. Um, it is important that we continue to drive that message. But I can tell you that cops know the truth.
1: You made reference to law enforcement. Uh, obviously, law enforcement in this country has had its hands full with some mass shootings recently. Um, I don't want to get into a great debate about gun control, but as a senior law enforcement official from the state of Nevada, a former attorney general. I'm wondering what your thoughts are with the Uvalde school shooting and what maybe policymakers can do here in Washington to try to protect our children better.
2: The reality is, Mike, we looked into this when I was attorney general and we met with uh, law enforcement across the state. There is simply no better way to keep our kids safe than to put armed guards on these school campuses, single point of entry, and making sure that there is a way to have breach-proof doors in each classroom, God forbid, something happens. And then immediately, any incident is shut down by 99%. And, you know, I went on Fox News shortly after the incident on the Hannity Show, and I called for this, and I specifically said, but Joe Biden, the Democrats will not support this. And I got hammered in the media here for like 72 hours. And sure enough, the following week, Joe Biden said he's a no on law enforcement in schools. And it's just there's no explanation to why they were opposed to that. This is absolutely the best deterrent. And so I hope that I, I called on Senator Masso at the time. We have hundreds of millions of unsped COVID dollars in this state. Use those today to harden schools. But the Democrats, they always want to use it for gun control. And I could tell you, Nevadans, that that's not the solution they want.
1: Adam Laxalt, Republican candidate for Senate in the great state of Nevada. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest
4: newsmakers and, of course, what you think.
0: Listen live or get the podcast now at Briankilmeadshow.com
4: This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. Tim Kennedy grew up in California and put his black belt in jujitsu
3: to work as a mixed martial arts fighter during the early days of the sport getting big. He's one of the few pro fighters to, at the same time, serve as an active duty soldier. He joined after the 9-11 terrorist attacks and served in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's a member of the Texas National Guard, co-owner of the military-based clothing company Ranger Up, a star on social media, and now an author.
0: The stories in the book are extraordinary. You know, they're wild
3: His new memoir is called Scars and Stripes, an unapologetically American story of fighting UFC warriors, the Taliban, and myself.
0: They're also really relatable in the sense that, you know, we all face struggles and trials and tribulations, but I think back to being what I think was Twelve years old, the first time I was in a wrestling tournament, and I got humiliated. You know, I got absolutely smashed. There was no participation trophy in the <laughs> '80s. You know, I just I had to stand there with my head hanging in shame as the guy next to me had his hand raised, and I had to walk off the mat. It was single elimination, so by nine o'clock, my wrestling tournament was over. And um, that's really important. You know, that's the the pain of losing. Um, the pain serves such an important purpose that I think we've forgot how important it is.
3: Were you a, uh, for lack of a, were you a good kid, a successful kid, grades? Did you, did you, uh, did you get in a lot of trouble? I mean, you were fired from a bunch of jobs as a grown up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. Kind of similar. You know, the, the, the reasons for being fired for as a grown up are the same reasons I struggled in school. You know, when I was young, even in kindergarten, somebody made fun of a little girl named Laura and um, she had a little boy haircut and I was like, that's rude. You're being a bully. So I followed him up to the top of the playscape and I punched him in the mouth and I pushed him off and he broke his arm. You know, it's like okay. I was still doing the right thing, but right. Uh, the process <laughs> wasn't perfect. Right. You know, and um, you know, there was times where they literally duct tape me to a chair. So I would sit and do my homework and um, like nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm just a six year old boy that has energy. You know, then by the time, you know, I'm a teenager, you know, somebody makes fun of my sister and I throw him through a phone booth and then drag him through the broken glass and I get in trouble for that. And I shouldn't have, but, um, <laughs> still again, trying to do the right thing. But, uh, so good you, grades you do seem to escalate quickly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a short, there's a short switch there. Uh, remind me of the timeline
3: of when you became a pro fighter and when you joined the army,
0: so, I, I mean, I started martial arts young and I started competing young and I competed 50 something times as an amateur. I had a few hundred grappling com- competitions, pancreas fights. So, and this was early before. MMA was so commonplace and sanctioned by states, you know, and how. For for a long time, you couldn't do it in New York, for example. Yeah, Yeah, for a very long time. Um, And then I end up at Madison Square Gardens on New Year's Eve for a fight. (laughs) That's how long I've been doing this. But I was fighting on Indian reservations, bare knuckle fights in Mexico and Tijuana. So I had. When I enlisted, I was already ranked top 10 in the world. Um, I had just won the ECC Middleweight Championship, um, a, a packed eight-man tournament. So I had been fighting, I think, for about four years when I enlisted. I had been fighting for two years when 9-11 happened, and then it took about 18 months for me to finally get a deployment or a uh, basic training date and a 18x-ray contract.
3: Because you, you literally... Went in on nine eleven, right? Like a lot of yeah. other guys, and was that the reason for the delay? Is that there were just so many guys yeah. rushing to serve their country?
0: Yeah, um, getting there, there was thousands. You know, the recruiting offices closed on nine eleven. I mean, I'm, everyone remembers where they were on nine eleven, and um, I remember sitting at the desk in you know the dot com bubble in California, watching that second plane fly into that building, and um, and then going to the recruiter's office, and there's this line of people. You know, it was it was wild to see such an immediate patriotic response to you know, an unknown enemy at the and time, and people
3: that figured out that quickly, like, oh, it's on with somebody.
0: Yeah, we don't know who it is, we don't know what their motivations are, but like, they just killed a couple thousand Americans. You know, like, just like Pearl Harbor. You know, like, I don't want to talk about things in the past, but like th- that, that should still infuriate Americans yeah. that you know, like this this unprovoked attack, but just because they didn't like whatever policies that we had, and they killed thousands of Americans. Mm. Nah, not going to stand for it.
3: Um, when you were in, when you got in the special forces, or maybe maybe it was just the training, you looked around and you said, oh. These are my people. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, and talk about you're obviously in amazing shape. Do you talk about the the translation to being really physically fit and being successful, maybe as an athlete, to being a soldier?
0: Yeah, so. Special operations uses physicality as a way to find out who the person is. Like it's everybody can say they're a great person. You know, if you you, you like you interview people all the time, it's it's difficult unless you put them into extreme situations to really see who they are. Mm-hmm. Are they going to give up a meal to their partner that's hungry? That's so hungry. Are they going to lift a little bit of extra weight because they can, not that they need to, just because they can be a better team player? Mm-hmm. Are they going to stay up one more shift? And those are things that you can't find out about a person unless. Unless you put them into extraordinary circumstances, the physicality is is a mechanism of measurement for us to find. It's a modality for us to like be able to peek behind the curtains to see who the person is.
3: Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, obviously some of the training is 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 practical. um, and does have real life applications, but some of it, like you said, is really just to figure out who you are.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we would have Adonis Greek god looking dudes that would show up to this training, but they had been pedicured, manicured. They've been so taken care of that when the, when it got hard, they quit, you know, when it, when it got to, do I have to give up my food to my teammate who, who is hurting, who really needs a little, an extra hour of sleep. They wouldn't do it. You know, they, they were selfish, but then you'd have this kind of scrawny guy that would be like, that just wouldn't quit. And he would stay up an extra shift. So you just needed these extreme, extraordinary circumstances to see who they were deep down inside. Uh, You
3: mentioned in the book that you you got beat up by some of your colleagues. Yeah. Um, Implied that you kind of deserved it. Yeah, for sure. What were you doing? Uh, I was being selfish.
0: You know, I was being arrogant. There was a mission in Iraq. We were going to go hit, I think it was a ballmaker's house. That was part of the Zarqawi network, um, Al-Qaeda. And um, I really wanted to be on this mission and we lost one of our helicopters One sixtieth got one of their helicopters shot up. So we had to reload. Like we had readjust our manifest, mm-hmm. our load plan for the helicopters. And I got, I was the least experienced I was the youngest guy on the team. So they, they bumped me, and uh, yeah, you're you're nodding like, yeah, that's that's what should happen. And sure. I was like, but I'm the fastest, I'm like I'm the strongest, I'm the the obviously the most arrogant. And, <laughs> because um,
3: all those guys were the fastest, the strongest. Yes, they
0: were, and right. experienced, right. you know. And I was not, but um, I believed that I should be on there. So I like a petulant child, I complained, and my my team sergeant comes back and and really. Had the team come in and 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 give me some corrective <laughs> <laughs> instruction. And then afterwards, you know, as I was laying there looking at my blood on the floor, being like, let's not talk about this again. Yeah,
3: there is stuff you had to think about to get into this book, but there, did you ever did you wince now and then or, or are you self-aware, self-reflective enough that you've come to peace with all the mistakes you've made and, and the shame's not a part of it anymore or did you think oh God I, I didn't want to think about that guy again
0: no I did, there are lots of times where I, I didn't want to, especially when I was reading the audiobook um relive like the worst moments of my life you know like some of the darkest moments, some of the most depressing moments, some of the l- most lonely moments you know when you're reading these audiobooks, you're like in an isolation chamber. Right. You know, it's it's totally quiet. You're in there by yourself, and I'm just reliving word by word, letter by letter, what it was like to go through some of these worst moments of my life. And um, the shame is still real, especially like the regrets, like that. You know, remembering that 25 year old arrogant kid talking to you know a Delta Force Master Sergeant and being like, "No, man, you should put me on this helicopter. I should be on here." Like, man, that still stings. Just saying out loud, even like though
3: you're that. not that guy. No, anymore. It seems like you're thinking about somebody else. A little bit,
0: yeah. Um, but I was that guy, yeah. you know. And um, they remember that guy, you know. And and uh, you know, they don't know the the man that I am now. They just yeah. knew the man that I was.
3: What's your military status now? I mean, is it a, is it a situation where um you, you know this calls for Tim, call up Tim, or do you or do you have regular duty?
0: Yeah, man, I wish I wish it was like Jason Bourne like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I am um I mean I'm, I'm a Special Forces Master Sergeant mm-hmm. with the Texas National Guard, um and you know as as a National Guardsman, I have my civilian job which I do. You know I write books, I own companies, mm-hmm. um and then I have an organization called Save Our Allies that I'm a board and founding member of, and um, I travel all over the world uh, to Afghanistan and to Ukraine to try to, to help our allies. And then um and then there's my military service. So when the military asks me to do something, the the ask usually comes by way of an order <laughs> and um and I go and do whatever it is they ask of me.
3: Um, save our allies um, you helped get a lot of people out of Afghanistan when 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 um, when our people withdrew when our military withdrew. Um Ukraine, I su- I I understand you recently spent some time there. You helped us out here with the Fox family. You um you ex- um you helped to get one of our Porter's out after he was hurt, Ben Hall, and, um, you helped with, um, one of our fallen colleagues up uh, here,
0: Yeah. Um. The team that is part of Save Our Allies, the, the, these these are some of the most remarkable humans on the planet, and um, true selfless servants that, that are there for the work. And um, whether it was getting our allies out of Afghanistan, smuggling out Americans, getting out um, SIV P one green card, you know, or translators that just served with us, like getting them out, yeah. like whatever it was, like they were there to do it. I was part of a four man team on the ground in Afghanistan that got those people out. Um, you know, that that's the last chapter of the book is in Afghanistan and. And I mean, that is nail biting horror, things that you would never wish, wish on your worst enemy. Now in Ukraine, you know, from um, rescuing when we got Benji Hall like that. What a tough guy. Yeah, like, that guy is so incredible. And his spirit, his resolve to, to, to fight through this is that is the stuff of, of movies are um, operative on the ground. The way that he got him out and the way that he found him and ultimately, like, smuggled him through Russian held territory while the Russians were killing people all around him. When he was very and still is very badly hurt. Yes. Yeah. Wild. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, I I hope that story gets to be told and, uh, like, the heroism of that ground operative, like, It's, it's it's so cool. Yeah.
3: Uh, plans for the book tour? See the country? Meet some people?
0: Whew, man, this book tour is crazy. Uh, Sarah Verardo, you're amazing. Thanks for setting all this up. But uh, Verardo strategy is really like put together. Like Fox has just opened their doors to me, and I, I cannot be more grateful. Hmm. It's been wild and a whole bunch more to do.
3: Well, you seem like a good guy, Tim, so we're happy to have you in the building. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. The new book is Scars and Stripes, an unapologetically American story of fighting the Taliban, UFC warriors, and myself. Tim, good to meet you, man. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks.
5: Here's a look at the week ahead.
1: Monday. The
5: House panel investigating the January 6, 2020 riot at the U.S. Capitol holds another public hearing. Unlike last week's hearing that was held during prime time, this one will begin Monday morning. Several more such hearings are planned this month. Also on Monday, Ohio becomes the latest state to begin permitless carry of guns. It will be legal for those in Ohio to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. Tuesday. Tuesday is Flag Day, commemorating the day the Second Continental Congress passed a resolution in 1777 laying the framework for the stars and stripes. Also on Tuesday, the FDA begins two days of meetings to decide whether to recommend approval of Moderna and Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines for babies, children, and teens. Wednesday. Members of the Federal Reserve end two days of meetings and could announce another rate hike for a key central bank interest rate. Analysts say more rate hikes are likely in an effort to curb inflation. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison Fox News. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you
4: listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? 500 years is a long time, even for human civilization. That's why it is significant and worth considering that the colonization of space, which finally appears to be on the near horizon, is a phenomenon mankind really hasn't experienced for half a millennium. Not since the discovery of the New World, in particular, North America, has the opportunity to craft a major society out of more or less whole cloth been around the corner. When we think about colonizing the moon or Mars, we tend to consider water supply, food, how people will breathe. And that's all very natural. But a far more complicated and ultimately important question is, how will these first space humans govern themselves? And this is no longer the domain of science fiction. Humans in space will be crafting and breaking laws before we know it. There are dual purposes served by considering how our space colonies will operate politically. One is that it's coming soon and needs to be worked out. But the other is that it provides an opportunity to really reflect on the nature of our own government. The question of how we would structure our political life if we had to start over again is no longer esoteric. It is upon us. So what should we keep and what should we perhaps disregard in forging the governments of space? From an American perspective, the most basic answer to this question ought to be whatever the colonists want, Polls show that as many as a quarter of Americans would go live on a Mars colony. When they start going, it ought to be with some kind of space age Mayflower compact. And history shows the advantages of a hands off approach from the old or home world. A vital wrinkle in the creation of the Massachusetts Bay Company in the 1620s was that the governing body would reside in the colony, not in England. This was new and it afforded a level of autonomy that its governor, John Winthrop, used to create a thriving, self-governed society, one free to aspire to its own moral and political ends. Of course, the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a financial endeavor as well. And that is also going to be the case as future billionaires like our Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos propel our expansion into the unknown. How much control should the earthbound shareholders and CEOs have over the non working lives of citizens of Mars? In the 17th century, what set American colonies apart wasn't just the autonomy, but the people drawn to that autonomy, even at the risk of financial ruin or death. They weren't moving to Florida to test it out. They were trying to create a whole new place made in their own image. The immense power of that idea would eventually defeat the might of British arms. Let's hope it never comes to that with Mars. Throughout history, the settler and colonial class has shown zeal and ambition that is only amplified by the promise of living on their own terms. And unlike 500 years ago, this compact or social construct will be agreed to by all the people. Many things in American society today feel stuck. Many are, from baby formula shortages to ever mangled and dangerous foreign affairs to stark and sad partisan division. But we too are just a step in the broader experiment of freedom and democracy. As the billionaire's toy rockets go up, we know that soon they will be tools that build a new society. We also know that society must be free. Amidst the difficulty, we ought to spare some moments to think about this marvelous opportunity we give to the next generation. And let it bring us joy. Maybe all isn't lost after all. I'm David Marcus, author of Charade The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox
5: News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com.